Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd speak through me. Lord, more of you, less of me. And Lord, as we live this life, that we would live that. What John the Baptist expressed best, Lord, that you must increase and we must decrease. So, Lord, that we would prepare our hearts to receive your word, that we would continue in worship, Lord, just as we were worshiping you in song, that we would continue in worship, including me, as we hear your word, and then as we go out and live a life of worship, applying your word to our lives, honoring you, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Joshua 15, and... um. So there's a portion of this chapter that I'm not actually going to read out to you guys. And that might be kind of strange because I usually read out everything. But at the end of the chapter is just going to be a list of towns. It'll be town after town after town after town. And to save you having to listen to me trying to pronounce ancient Hebrew towns, I'll let you do it yourself at home. All right. So, but we will go through it. I'm just not going to sit there and read every single town to you. Uh, But some of those towns are very important because we will read those towns and they're telling us the towns of Judah. You will read them again and again, even in the New Testament. So you can look back and say, oh yeah, that's when Judah was given their allotment. They were given those towns. So um, I find a lot of people... A lot of us, including me, especially when I was younger, I would read the names of the genealogies and then I'd skip them because it's like, who's going to read through hundreds of names, right? And then you start to realize, wait, I recognize that name from back then. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts cross-referencing for you throughout scripture and you begin to understand and dig deeper into his word, understanding that he, history is in his hands. You know, people may try to realign history for us for their own gain, but God actually tells true history. He tells us how it really happened instead of some agenda, you know, telling us how everything happened. So as we read through this, that we would let the Lord speak to us. The land given to the tribe of Judah, verse 1. The allotment for the clans of the tribe of Judah reached southward to the border of Edom, as far south as the wilderness of Zin. The southern boundary began at the south bay of the Dead Sea, ran south of Scorpion Pass, which actually sounds pretty cool, right? Scorpion Pass, right? I'm pretty sure it was named Scorpion Pass, not for a good reason, Um, into the wilderness of Zin, and then went south to Kadesh Barnea, to Hezron. Then it went up to Adar, which it turned towards Karka. From there, it passed to Asmon until it finally reached the brook of Egypt, which it followed to the Mediterranean Sea. This was their southern boundary. The eastern boundary extended along the Dead Sea to the mouth of the Jordan River. The northern boundary began at the bay where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. You know what I love about the Bible and what some people will question about it, it is it's very specific in land 
in, in ancient boundaries. It's very specific in times. Like when you read through things in the, in the New Testament, they'll tell you who was governing here, what was going on there. And some people will be like, no, they're wrong, right? And then it happens that we dig in the dirt as we do in, in the Middle East. And then we find out later on after we said the Bible is wrong, it was right the whole time. And um, just recently, uh, I'll just share this. I was reading, I love reading like archeological digs about them and stuff and things that they find. So just recently um, for secular scholars, they like to say that King David never existed. It's just a fantasy story, right? Written down for everybody to feel good. You know, uh, that Israel never really had. Even some um, Israeli secular scholars believe that. They just say, you know, like Moses was made up and, and David, King David was made up. It's just too fantastic of a story for it to be real. You know, Solomon never existed. And then recently they, um, they uncovered something uh, that is from one of the kings and it says, of the house of David. And it's like one of the first things that they found that actually says David's name on it and has like his crest on it and everything. And they're like, oh, um, maybe he did exist. Maybe the Bible wasn't lying. And time and time again, the Bible proves everybody else wrong. And um, I've said this before. If you have a differing opinion to what the Bible says, the Bible is not wrong. You are. Sorry. Guys, I've had to confront this in my own life. There are things that I feel should be the right way, and the Lord's telling me, this is how it goes, Dave. And after I sit with him, and I talk to him, and he changes my heart about it, I begin to understand that all wisdom belongs to the Lord. True wisdom, not worldly wisdom. You know, not, not, you know, the wisdom of the stock markets or, you know, these different things. Godly wisdom. And I'll tell you what, God's wise enough to beat the stock markets too. He lives in his own economy. He tells us, like, we sit around and we play with monopoly money. And he's like, I own the earth and everything in it. The birds of the air, the beasts of the field. I own it all. And then he even says, I own all of you. I own all of you. And then he, he goes on to say that he almost lost us to sin, but he bought us back with his blood. He owns us. He loves us. And I'm not telling you this so it's like all touchy-feely. Oh, he loves us. You can feel good about it. Praise the Lord. The King of Kings loves you individually. But we also have a responsibility with that information. To be responsible with the truth that we're being told. And to accept it. And to listen to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the northern boundary began at the bay where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. Went up from there to Beth Hagla. Then proceeded north to Beth Arabah to the stone of Bohan. Bohan was Reuben's son. From that point, it went through the valley of Achor to Deber, turning north toward Gilgal, which is across from the slopes of Adumim on the south side of the valley. From there, the boundary extended to the springs of 
and Shemesh and on to Enrogel. The boundary then passed through the valley of Ben Hinnom along the southern slopes of the Jebusites where the city of Jerusalem is located. Then it went west to the top of the mountain above the valley of Hinnom and on up to the northern end of the valley of Rephim. From there, the boundary extended from the top of the mountain to the spring at the waters of Nephtoah, and from there to the towns of Mount Ephron. Then it turned toward Baala, then, uh, that is, Kirith-Jerim. The boundary circled west to Baala, to Mount Seir, passed along the town of Kesselon, on the northern slope of Mount Jerim, and went down to Beth Shemesh and on to Timnah. The boundary then proceeded to the slope of the hill north of Ekron, where it turned towards uh, Shikaron and Mount Baala. It passed Jibneel and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. The western boundary was the shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries for the clans of the tribe of Judah. And then we're shot into a little story with Caleb. So it says, the Lord commanded Joshua, this is what uh, Pastor Juan, I was about to call him Uncle Juan. <laughs> because Pastor Juan is my brother, so he is Uncle Juan to my children. <laughs> so it matters in what context I'm, I'm, I'm referring to Juan. <laughs> to me, he's just Juan, my brother. <laughs> to my children, he's Uncle Juan. To you guys, he's Pastor Juan. And then... Uh, he probably wears other hats, so, yeah. So the Lord commanded Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb, son of Jephna. So Caleb is from the tribe of Judah, but Caleb's going to get a special allotment because Caleb believed the Lord. And there's something beautiful about Caleb and Juan touched this, touched on this, and, and it's this. It's not that Caleb believed the Lord, it's because he held on to what he believed about the Lord. Guys, some of us today, like the Lord says, hey, I'm going to return. And some of us are like, yeah, when? What's going on? And the Lord's like, be like Caleb. Don't worry about the timings. Just hold on to my promise and know that I am true. Right? Caleb waited. Caleb states it. And, and Pastor Juan said this. Caleb stated, God had a promise for me, and I've waited 45 years for this. Let's go kill some giants. Right? He wasn't discouraged about waiting 45 years. He was excited. He was in it. Some of us get tired if the Lord's promised something to us. And it doesn't happen within 24 hours. Guys, 45 years, the man was already 40. And I've said myself, like, I don't even know if I have that in me, right? I'm 43 now. Imagine the Lord's like, hey, Dave, I'm going to give you something in 45 years. I'd be like, keep it, bro. <laughs> I'll be as good as dead. <laughs> right? No, Dave, I'm going to keep you alive for 45 years <laughs> so I can get it after I come out of my Zimmer frame. <laughs> Let me get that. <laughs> you know, almost reaching 90. But you know what? I say that as a stupid young man. God knows. 
and he knows what makes our hearts content. And I know this because I've seen the Lord do it over and over again. There are times where he wants to give me a blessing and I'm like, no, Lord, please don't give me that. Please, Lord. You know, and I act like Jesus, take this cup of suffering from me, Lord. But if it's your will, I'm going to run. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know, let your will be done. And then I find that when he gives me that blessing, I say, wow, I actually like this blessing. You know me better than myself. You know me because all I saw was the hard work and the pain and the responsibility, but you saw the blessing and the love in it, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves. So the Lord commanded Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb, son of Jephna. So Caleb was given the town of Kirath Arba, which is Hebron, which has been named after Anak's ancestor. Caleb drove out the three groups of Anakites, the descendants of Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. So Caleb didn't just go in there and do like, just like, yo, let me take care of one giant around here. He drove out three types of giants. This 80-something-year-old man who said, not only have I been waiting for the Lord's promise, he's blessed me so that I have the strength of a 40-year-old. So let's go do this. And he led them in, and he had this, this faith that was willing to risk it for more than a biscuit. <laughs> He was willing to risk it. He had this, this faith that said, listen, if the gamble is with the Lord, I'm in. Because really, when we're, when we're like gambling with things and the Lord has promised, it's not really a gamble. The creator of all things has said he will be there and he will be victory for him. So Caleb's like, I'm with you. It may look, you know, he came back with those spies. Remember, this is why he was given this land. He came back with those, with 12, he was one of the 12 sent out. There were only two of the, of the 12, which is him and Joshua, who is leading the Israelites at this time. And some scholars believe Joshua was older than him at this time. And he says, just like back in that day, when I saw those giants, I knew we could take them. Because if God, like Joshua told the Israelites back then, 45 years before, he said, guys, if the Lord is pleased with us, these giants are as prey to us. Because God's victory will go before us. And it was only two out of 12 men that had seen God, they had both seen his wonders and miracles, but two of them made up their mind to believe God, 10 doubted. Can I tell you what this world is filled of today? Those 10 people. People like those 10 people. Can I tell you what this room is filled with today? People like those 10 people, and I fall into that at times. 
people that say, hey, listen, Lord, I know what you told me, but I see reality. I am um, I'm naturally an optimist, okay? You can ask my older brother. I'm annoyingly an optimist, right? It's not that I don't see everything falling. <laughs> it's that I know it can be picked up, right? So I learned early on in my life, I needed to look on the bright side because if I look at everything falling, I, it's not that I don't live in reality. I really do, okay? But if I just focus on all the bad, I might as well just go jump off a cliff because the game is over. But if I listen to the hope that I have and the hope that I've been told about since I was three years old that I took on myself, then I can keep walking with him. But sometimes I become like those 10 spies that say, Lord, <laughs> the giants are just too big. I can't do this. I'm just going to crawl into my bed, put the covers over my head, and hopefully it all disappears when I come back out. I just want to walk away. But the Lord knows that's not really my heart. So I have to turn around and say, I am going to choose to believe you. I'm going to choose. Two guys chose to believe the Lord, to believe all of his promises, to actually take God at his word. And those two guys were Caleb and Joshua. And then we find them 45 years later, later living what they had said the Lord could do. They were living it. And the Lord said, because you believe me, I will honor you. Jesus says the same thing in scripture, guys, in the New Testament. He says, if we call upon his name, all that call upon his name will be saved. We're told that in scripture in the book of Romans. And then it says that if we believe in him and trust him, he will present us before the whole assembly. He will not be ashamed of us. He will turn around in front of all the heroes and the greats that have gone before us and he'll usher me up and say, hey guys, this is Dave. He believed me. And for that, I honor him. Imagine that in eternity. You believing him and him ushering you forward to say, hey, do you know his name or her name? They believed me. They're my child. I mean, that'd be awesome. Forget, forget the awards here on earth. Forget that. But to live in eternity honored by God himself. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. So it says, uh, from there, verse 15, he went to fight against the people living in the town of uh, Deber, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Imagine you're a single guy. Caleb, the famous man, says, I will give you my daughter. I'm pretty sure she was beautiful, right? Because otherwise nobody would have gone. <laughs> They're like, you could keep her, Caleb. <laughs> Sorry, Caleb, you could keep her, man. 
But not only does, does just, it's not a nobody that goes and captures the town. You'll see, of course, he was related in. He was of the tribe of Judah. But not only that, this is Othniel. He will, he will, in the next book in the Bible, he's going to be one of the judges. He's also a great man. And he says, I'll go take that. I'll take them all out, Caleb. <laughs> Othniel, the son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So Aksa became Othniel's wife. And like I said, in the book of Judges, we'll see that Othniel had a daring faith, one that was willing to risk things. You know, to risk things like we read over and over again of people that are honored in scripture, like Daniel, like Samuel, like the three Hebrew young men that were willing to risk it to say, you know what? God has only called me to worship him. I don't care who you say, oh, great king, who to worship, but we're only worshiping God. And then the king gives him another chance and he says, you know, when the trumpets play and all these things play, bow down and worship me. And they say, listen, God is our God. He could save us from this fiery furnace that you want to put us into. But even if he doesn't, he's still our God. I'm willing to risk it, right? That's what they were saying. I'm willing to risk it to listen to God's word to listen to what he has said to us. It's, remember the disciples in the New Testament, the, uh, the Sanhedrin tells them, hey, listen, I don't want you talking in Jesus' name again, okay? Because if you do, bad things are gonna happen. So they throw him in prison. So that night, an angel comes, lets him out of prison, and they're back out in the courts telling people about Jesus. And then the Sanhedrin doesn't really know it. And they're like, oh, release those three disciples of Jesus so that we could talk to them. And they, a report comes back and says, they're not in prison. They're in the courts preaching again. And it says that the, the jealousy of the Sanhedrin was stirred up. They were jealous because of God's glory. Right? So then they call them in. And they, uh, they tell them, we told you not to teach in Jesus' name. And they said, listen, if you think it's more important to listen to you instead of God, it's up to you, man. But we're going to listen to God. Right? So then they beat the disciples and send them out. And it says, that, and the disciples went out rejoicing because they were chosen worthy to be beaten for Christ. I don't see that in the church. I'm not just talking about us. I mean, like, the whole body of Christ, right? Half of us, like, make our own trouble and then say we're persecuted. <laughs> you know, they put me in prison. Yeah, that's because you were stealing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a Christian. I was, I was stealing for Christ. <laughs> no, you, you got it twisted. Go do your, your master's work, the Lord's work. And then when you are persecuted, then you know you're on the right track. But don't do things you're not supposed to be doing. You know? We 
When Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, so we're, we're going to take away that, that Othniel actually asked her father for the field, right? So then she's like, ask my father for a field. Why is this, why is this kind of crucial? I find this crucial because you're like, if you look at her, you're like, she keeps asking for more. But she knows her father, right? My daughters know me. They know me right? And they know that sometimes, you know, they've told me the thing, daddy, you always say no. Is it true? No, it's not true. Because their mother knows that daddy usually says yes, but they try to use the ploy that I always say no. And I have to, I have to sober myself up. No, I don't. <laughs> what are you talking about? You have like 10 bags of crisps right now, <laughs> right? But they know their daddy, right? because their daddy loves them. I love them. I really do. Sometimes my wife yells at me, not because of them, because I rarely tell her no, because I love her, right? So she's like, Dave, can I buy these pair of boots? And I'm like, yeah, why don't you buy two? Two pairs. And she's like, Dave, you never say no. And I'm like, mm, it's because I love you. <laughs> right? She knows her husband, and it may make her a bit cross at times, but she knows I don't say no to most things because I love her, right? It's worth the sacrifice. She knows her daddy. She knows Caleb, and she says, Othniel, we need, we need a field, and my dad has a field. He has many fields. Ask him. So Othniel asks, and he probably gets. And then as she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what's the matter? She said, give me another gift. This is like uh, my three-year-old Josephine, right? During the day, she's like, uh, daddy. Yes, Josephine. Can I have a bag of crisps? And she has this really cute lisp, bag of crisps. And I'm like, Josie, did you already have a bag of crisps? No. Like earlier. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what time frame she was thinking, but maybe she thought in the last minute. <laughs> right? So then she, she knows where the crisps are. She knows daddy has plenty of crisps. And she knows that daddy's willing to give her crisps. Half the time until I think, you know what? You're not going to eat any other meal. You can't have any more crisps, right? But she knows that daddy has plenty of crisps. She's not asking me for something I don't have and that I can't get. And um, so she asks Caleb. She says, give me another gift. You have already given me land in the Negev. Now, please, give me springs of water, too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. So he gave her water to drink and water for irrigation. She gave, he gave her, she just said, let me get some springs. And he said, I got something good for you. Right? He came and he gave good gifts. And what I'm reminded of 
is the New Testament when the Lord tells us, when Jesus himself tells us that we have a good father. And he tells us a couple of times in different parables and different stories of how good he is. And then he also um, kind of compares and contrasts how, what a father would do and what a perfect father would do, right? So we can read that really quick. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. And um, these are the verses. It says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you asked for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Your parents... You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And then we're told in scripture that if I lack wisdom... That God gives freely, right? In the book of James. And I find that great because what I have found as I've ventured off and I've led things for ministries and, you know, you, you go do things in other countries and you are leading, you realize this. If you really know things, you know nothing. People come to you for the answers and you have no idea. But that's what makes you a good leader because you know who to go ask wisdom of, right? So when you come to me and say, oh, Pastor Dave, I have this problem. I'm like, so do I. <laughs> Let's ask Jesus, right? And, and I've told you before, as you're talking to me, I'm asking Jesus. I'm praying under my breath, Jesus, fill me with your wisdom. Give me your words, because I can give you all the knowledge and wisdom that I might have, and it's not going to lead to much. At one time, I thought, man, I have a lot to give. And then I started leading people and thinking, I've got nothing for them. Because my wisdom and what I think is right is going to lead them astray. And that goes for everyone out there that thinks they know. You don't know. You know what the basic thing that you have to have if you want to learn something? The ability to be humble and to say, I don't know, teacher, teach me. And that's the way we have to come to the Lord before we start giving our advice out to everybody else because your advice is going to confuse people. And it's going to seem really good to this world but not to somebody who's heavenly minded, trying to follow the Lord and do the right thing. So learn to empty yourself. Oh, I'm not talking about like some Eastern meditation and like emptying your mind and all these different things. I don't have to work hard to empty my mind. There's nothing in there anyway. <laughs> I need the Lord to fill it up. Less of me, more of him. Less of me, more of him. John the Baptist said that. And you, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? 
There is no one greater than John the Baptist that has been born of women. Um, that means everybody, right? Anybody here not born of a woman? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. And then he said, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Huh? <laughs> so if John the Baptist, who is like super great before the Lord's eyes, said, got to crush me down. We don't need me. We need him. We have to be the same way when we lead people. We don't need me. We need him. We need Jesus. We need his wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead us. You know, I, I heard this really great teaching. Um, it's from a church I love. It's called Calvary Chapel, Birmingham. Um, and um, it actually wasn't me teaching because I don't really like listening to me. But it was um, our, our very own Dr. Matt Tabinor teaching. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoy all the teachings. But this one he was talking about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And, and I knew everything he was saying. But it was a beautiful reminder that what he gives me, I cannot do. Only he can do through me. If I want to be like Caleb, I have to let the Lord work through me. I can't work through me. Because the harder I try, the more I will become people like Aiken. <laughs> if you don't know that reference, go back a couple of chapters in the book of Joshua and read about Aiken. But if I want to be like Caleb, I have to trust the Lord. And I have to let the Lord work through me. I have to ask him, Lord Jesus baptize me in your spirit. Empower me because it's not in me. Guys, the hardest thing about ministry is this. People. People. Because we clash, right? You don't do things like I do things. The hardest thing about ministry, church would be so easy if it was empty. All I would have to do is just maintain the property and then do the books. And it's really easy to do the books because it's like I bought five screws and that's it for this month. Right. Great. Right. But like enter into ministry. And guys, if you are a Christian, you are called to minister in your everyday life. So when we read in the Bible about how a deacon should be or how an elder should be, you need to live up to that because you minister before the Lord. You might try to excuse yourself and say, oh, that's only for Pastor Dave and the elders and the other pastors. Forget that. That's for you. It tells us how an elder should be, how an elder's wife should be, how a deacon should be, a deacon's wife should be. And all deacon means is a servant of the Lord, a servant of the body of Christ. We should all be standing there saying, all right, well, this is how you want me to live. Okay. To have a good reputation among outsiders, which doesn't mean <laughs> try to trick them all <laughs> into thinking you're a good person. It's a lot easier just being a good person for the Lord. <laughs> and remember, 
That character is what God knows of me, whether good or bad. Reputation is just what people think of me. So I have to work on my character before the Lord because he sees me all the time. He sees me even when no one's looking. Character. So he gives her the upper and lower springs. He loves her. And um, we see that the Lord is good and he gives. And he says, I give better than parents because I'm a perfect father, right? And then um, there's this other thing in there about knocking, seeking, asking. And the disciples in Luke, Luke 17, I won't read it to you, but they say, the Lord talks to them about faith and they say, Lord, increase our faith. And then the Lord goes on to talk in those chapters about just not increasing their faith, but being persistent in faith. See, Caleb was persistent in his faith. He kept his faith and he kept knocking and saying, Lord, I know what you've promised me and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And then he says, he gives this, this story, a parable about the widow, right? And we'll read that. Luke 18, 1 through 8, and this is what he tells them. Luke 18, 1 through 8. One day, Jesus told his, his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't, so don't you think God will surely give you justice to his, give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? right? So he's talking about this persistent asking, seeking, knocking. And he says, listen, somebody that didn't care about me or people gave her what she wanted. How much more a good God that hears his people, that cares for his people? How much more? How many of you guys are persistent in prayer? Let me tell you something. I, I remembered as I was studying for this about a time that I wanted to be persistent in prayer. And after a while, I gave up. And I was reminded about this a few years ago. Now, I grew up, um, and some of you know, I have um, six siblings, right? We are from the same mommy and daddy. We are biological uh, brothers and one sister, right? And I have a daddy that um, still does not love Jesus to this day. I have not seen him in about 16 years, 18 years. I have not seen him, no flesh and blood. I have not spoken to his voice 
in like 16 to 18 years, okay? Now, I love my dad. I do love him because there were times I have good memories with him. I love him. And one day when my father was still with us, I used to work this job and I would have a lunch break. And I said to myself, I'm going to pray for my dad during my lunch break. So I would go into the forest where no one could see me and I would get down on my knees and pray for my dad. And nobody knows this. This is the first time I'm telling anybody. And I did it for a long time until my dad did something and I realized it's all for nothing. That's what I said to myself. It's all for nothing. You'll never change. You will never change. But what was I hoping on? The power of my dad? No, I was hoping in the power of the Lord. And I forgot that. And I gave up. And the Lord said, be persistent. Be persistent. And I gave up. And just recently, I've picked back up and I said, I do it because I believe you are great, Lord. Not because I believe in the power of my dad to change. <laughs> right? How many of us have dropped the ball before and we're not persistent in our prayers? Caleb was persistent in his faith. And he took out giants. So Caleb not only wanted to drive the giants out, he, want, um, he waited on the Lord's promise. And he had faith in it. And he was persistent in it. And then he did it with the Lord's strength. Because sometimes we might, yeah, oh, I really want this, right? And then we go in our own strength and we go for it and we get knocked out. And then we get up and we're disillusioned. God, what happened? The Lord's like, uh, you happened. <laughs> you forgot me. I'm still standing here. But we see when Caleb went in there, he, he was going in there with the Lord. He knew. And by doing that, Caleb did something. He not only provided the land that he was going to live on, he provided for the next generation. He gave to his children. And when we are willing to stand up and, ha and trust the Lord and be empowered by the Lord, and we do great things for the Lord, guess who it blesses? The ones after us. Blesses the ones after us. Our children. Proverbs said something, says something. It says, you know, a wise man gives inheritance to his children. But a righteous man gives inheritance not only to his children, but his children's children. And I don't think that's talking about money in the bank. It can be. But I think it's talking about faith in the Lord. You hand your children true faith. And you hand them the way to be saved. And you hand them how to live this life. And you hand them everything you've learned. And you leave it there for them. So that they can live in a promised land. That was given to you, your children, and your children's children. That's a beautiful thing. He was providing for the next generation. Verse 20. 
This was the homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Judah. Like I told you before, we're going to skip through reading all of these. And I'm just, we're just going to see there were 29 towns with their surrounding villages, 33 through 36, 14 towns with that, their surrounding villages, verses 37 through 41, 16 towns with their surrounding villages, Verses 42 through 44, nine towns with their surrounding villages. The territory of the tribe of Judah also included Akron and its surrounding settlements and villages. From Akron, the boundary extended west and included the towns near Ashdod with their surrounding villages. It also included Ashdod with its surrounding settlements and villages and Gaza with its settlements and villages as far as the brook of Egypt and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Verses 48 through 51 are 11 towns with their surrounding villages. 52 to 54 are nine towns with their surrounding villages. 55 through 57 are 10 towns. 58 and 59 are six towns. Verse 60, two towns. 61 and 62 are six towns with their surrounding villages. So a good amount of towns and a good amount of land was given to the tribe of Judah. All right. And then we read this. Verse 63, but the tribe of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in the city of Jerusalem. Do you guys, you guys know that city, right? Still relevant today, Jerusalem. So they couldn't drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites live there among the people to Judah, of Judah to this day, to this day of when this document was written, all right? Guys, do you guys know who would drive out the Jebusites and take Jerusalem for themselves? What is the other name or who made the capital Jerusalem? Do you guys know that? Who took Jerusalem and made it the capital of, of uh, Judah and all of Israel? King David. Do you know how many years were between Caleb and King David? How many years did it take for another giant slayer to rise up and say, I believe God? It's as easy as that. I believe God. 400 years. Guys, we're told in scripture that Elijah was a man just like you and me. But the problem is, is that you and me don't want to be like Elijah. Oh, in fanciful dreams, we would love to be like Elijah. But when the Lord says, this is what you need to do to be like Elijah, you have to believe me. We're like, I'm out. <laughs> I have to believe you. I'd rather believe me. I know better, right? The Lord's like, I will take you through everything. Remember what he told them in the book of Isaiah. When you walk through the waters, through the floods, they will not overtake you because I'm with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned because I walk with you. But a lot of us don't want to walk with him. We'd rather walk our own way. We'd rather be part-time Christians with a full-time God. I'll trust you when like other Christians are around, but when it's just being you, I know better. So I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to chase what I want. Is that your life? Is that my life? I pray it's not. 
but it only takes for us to make a decision like King David and like Caleb to say, you said it, I believe you. And I'm going to live in that belief. You said it, I believe you. When the scripture says that he is the one that binds up the brokenhearted, do we believe him? Or do we say, there's no help here for me. I need to go find something else to cover up my wounds. And we go chasing what this world has. Drinking, drugs, whatever. Because God's not going to bind up my broken heart. When the Lord says that he is with us, we are not alone, do we believe him? Or do we say, I know you said that, but I'm still alone. Or if you're looking for a, a spouse, you're going to look in yourself. You're going to go find it yourself. Or are you going to go to the Lord who knows all people on earth and who will take care of you? Because it wasn't until the day I gave up that the Lord had a chance to unite me with the one he wanted for me until I gave up. And when I met her, I still had in my mind, I've given up. I'm just going to serve you, Lord. And the Lord's like, that's great. And now I'm providing someone for you. Because you've been faithful to just keep your eyes on me. Oh, okay. The Lord is good to us, but we don't believe him. He's kind to us. But we don't trust him. Will it take another 400 years for someone else to rise up? Or can you be someone that believes God? Believes what it says in his word. Believes him when he tells you that you are loved and that you are important to him. Do we find our importance somewhere else? On social media? How many likes we have? How many followers we have? Is that where we find our importance? It's not very important. Or do we find our worth in Christ, which then gives us self-worth? And we say, the King of kings and the Lord of lords loves me. That's enough for me. And then nothing can move you from there. And we're just talking just a few things. The Lord knows Lord knows, sometimes we are selfish people and we have these pet peeves that we don't like what other people do. And the Lord's like, are you willing to die to yourself, to follow me, to get past those things? Guys, I'm going to tell you now, and I was talking about this this morning. I had a real problem when I first came to Britain, right? Um... I am somebody that is bothered by odors. 100%, that's me, I have a problem, right? I have a problem, man. Like, you know, if you got cologne, dump that whole thing on you, I don't wanna smell your body. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, even with myself, I repulse myself. <laughs> like, if I'm stinky, I'm like, I need a shower right now, or else I'm jumping out a window. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm telling you, that's the way I am. All right. 
I am just somebody, I was, it was drilled into my head, like, if you're sweaty, take a shower, take a shower, take a shower, right? My dad, that man took three showers a day. I thought, what's wrong with you? And now I'm like my dad, <laughs> right? He'd be like, you stink, take a shower. You stink, take a shower. So now I know I stink, I take a shower, <laughs> right? So this was my problem. We were working at times among people that didn't take showers for months and they didn't brush their teeth. And I'm just like, they're like, yo, uh, Dave, I have a problem. I'm like, yo, tell me from over there because I don't want to smell you, man, right? And the Lord was like, you can't minister like this, Dave. How are you going to love people? I'll be like, I'll love them from a distance, Jesus, all right? They could Zoom me. And the Lord was like, this has to die in you, right? Because I had my preferences. Let me tell you something about the Lord. He does not care for your preferences. He does not care. Do you know why he doesn't care? Because he's a good father. I have a preference, right? No pain ever. That's my preference. No pain ever. And the Lord's like, I want you to grow. <laughs> Guess what that means, Dave? Lots of pain. And I'm like, I'd like to get another job. Thanks. Yeah, another job. Um, banker in London, that would be great. Yeah, right? Or Manhattan, wherever, you know? And the Lord's like, nope. I want you to grow because I love you. And I'm not going to listen to your preferences, Dave. You know what my preference is? Not to be in a basement church. <laughs> That's my preference. I've seen plenty of buildings in this city that are right for me. Right? Like the Radisson. <laughs> Make that into church, right? How many stories is your church? I don't know. I don't count that high. <laughs> We're going to be in the top suite this morning overlooking the city, right? That, that, right? That'd be nice, right? And the Lord's like, I don't care about your preferences, Dave. Get in that basement. And you know what this basement came with? Odors. <laughs> and the Lord's like, I'm going to remove your pet peeves, Dave. I'm going to remove them so that you don't even remember them anymore. And sometimes people are like, it stinks down here. I'm like, it does? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I remember that from 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do what we need to do and let's just get to church. Let's just do what the Lord wants us to do. And I'm not sad about it. I'm not sad that he overcame my preferences, the things that I call my preferences, right? My pet peeves, my annoyances, right? I don't care. He overcame them, praise the Lord, and he's still overcoming them, right? Sometimes they like to pop up every once in a while. Well, I don't like how that person smells. And the Lord's like, I don't care. Oh yeah, that's right. You don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to keep serving you. Help me to die to myself. Guys, when Jesus Christ picked up his cross, it wasn't because he enjoyed carrying crosses. It wasn't because he just picked up that cross and went, oh, this is really comfortable. I love dying. <laughs> the king of kings did not need to die. He didn't need to. But he saw the glory that was past it, and he loved us that much that he was willing to say, it does not matter about my preferences. It says, and we're told in Philippians that he was obedient even unto death. 
Because when we trust him, we will be obedient. Let's not wait another 400 years until another David shows up. We can be like Elijah today. And you don't want to be like Elijah because you could do like cool magic tricks or something like that. Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being like Elijah so the Lord can use you. And you can be filled with him. And you can sit before him and be filled up. And be in communion with the Lord, talking to him, being at peace with him, though the world wars around us, knowing that one day you will be in his presence. 100% complete. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the examples of Caleb, of King David, Lord. And Lord, we know they're not perfect examples, but Lord, they're little little pictures of who you are like, Jesus. They are lesser Christs, just pictures of who you, who you came to be and who you still are for us today. Lord, because it says that you sit at the right hand of God the Father and you intercede for us. You continue to knock and seek for us. You pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that one day you will return. You are our hope. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.